0: River Writers. I'm your host, Dale Olson, with the Writers Guild of Astoria. What makes writers tick, and what do they know that might help the rest of us? My guest today is local playwright, Sean Deal. Welcome, Sean.
1: Thank you, Dale, and thank you, Astoria Writers Guild, for having me out here.
0: Oh, we love you, Sean. You're one of our favorite people. What have you What have you been working on this summer?
1: Uh, this summer, actually, I have just recently finished up a my biggest play to date a an original horror play designed for bigger high schools
0: oh wow is it um does it have zombies or vampires or
1: it actually has a haunted scarecrow oh my kind of a possessed scarecrow (laughs) that uh, that a, a student can play yeah and this scarecrow is looking over this particular town and uh, oh. it's doing good things and bad things. And it's a big secret. And
0: Well, I like that it's doing good things and bad things because n- no one is all good or all bad. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's important to make a character believable, I think, is to give them uh, some dimension. And All characters should be well-rounded.
1: I mean, yeah. in life, nobody's good 100% of the time. Nobody's bad 100% of the time.
0: Well, I can think of one person that's <laughs> bad 100% of the time but I won't say their name
1: <laughs> but I mean it's all about motivations what's motivating the character right and that's that's he- on this particular play that I'm that I just finished up it's all about motivation
0: and you said this is the longest play that you've written to date
1: yes uh, it's got 26 uh, speaking roles in it mm. uh I believe almost 40 full characters and then that's a
0: that's a large cast.
1: Yes. Well, it's designed for big high schools. Yeah. Bigger high schools want to get as many of their students involved as possible. And so, you know, like some of the local schools uh, around here, uh, Astoria has a big program or a long Kelso High School where they're, you know, there's well more than a thousand people at their school. They have 100 students that are involved with drama.
0: Right. Yeah, so you, so you want to um, uh, have a vehicle that allows for a great number of students to participate that, you know... Beca- right,
1: especially uh, at all levels. M- mine's a three-tiered play, so I have a lot that have just a couple of lines for those freshmen. Mm-hmm. And then I've got some intermediate stuff that all have maybe 10 lines for your sophomores, juniors. And then your seniors have got the most lines of about 15 to 20 lines a piece in the play. And that's, it's well balanced that way for a, uh, theater teacher to handle.
0: So uh, what, what, what has to happen in order for you to have a play, um, published or, or uh, for it to be out in the world?
1: Well, there's a, there's an extra step that novelists and your short story people don't have. So I mean, when you've got a short story or novel done, you can send it straight in. For a play, you have to get a production done. And that production can be a full stage play. It can be workshopped, which is having a bunch of actors come in and workshop through the the play itself without an audience. And, or it can be a, a table read where you have a group of actors just read around the table. But there is so many things that go wrong when you've got a play that you just have to figure it out on stage, and I still make tons of changes to it, even in a simple table read or workshopping it because I realize that oh, you didn't understand that line huh that's a, that's not that's not good that's not my intention so you just
0: those things come out later as you're actually exactly. getting down to the nuts and bolts of it
1: exactly because it's hard to write a play with 26 speaking speaking lines and then realize that hey once you because a play is a living breathing thing and it's so collaborative so just because i write it and give it to a, a director they're not going to see it exactly the way i thought or had pictured in my head. And so that director is going to see it a little bit differently. Then they're going to cast some actors, and each actor is going to see their part just a little bit differently. And then suddenly a lot of those little differences may have added up into big uh, challenges that I have to uh, kind of smooth out. And that's why all publishers want a production of some kind done so that those, those areas have gotten smoothed out
0: yeah do you um do you have an idea of a school that might be a good candidate for you to do that workshopping process with
1: actually I did it with a uh, a group of students from Kelso high school
0: oh great and what, what what was just their reaction to it? Were you able to gauge kind of oh yeah the, yeah that that's their...
1: that's the biggest part I'm usually going for is how the students reacted to it yeah and they reacted to i would say. Ninety percent of the play exactly the way I wanted it to, and then I scratched my head on a couple of reactions. I'm going, okay, that's not the reaction I was going for so of course, those are the parts that I spent some time reworking mm-hmm. after uh we we did that workshopping.
0: I noticed that um in just in reading about some of your your plays that um, that have been produced that you and that you've um, written that you you include a magical realism in a lot of your uh, storylines. And can you just tell us a little bit about um what magical realism is, at least your kind of your definition of it, and 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 why why you uh, enjoy uh, working that into a, a story when you're writing a play?
1: I became uh, fascinated with magical realism. I uh, was a foreign exchange student. To uh, Peru, uh, my senior year uh, in high school. And then I went, came back, went to Linfield University for a year, and then immediately went uh, to the University of San Jose in Costa Rica for my sophomore year abroad. It is this where I got, and after living in these two countries for about a year apiece, magical realism is just inundated in their culture, in their literature, in their history. And I just became fascinated with it. And so what magical realism is, it's a bit like fantasy and it gets confused uh, as fantasy by us people who are out of Latin America. But what it is, is taking a normal, you have a normal world. It's not fantastical at all. And there's one fantastical element in this world but everybody treats it like it was the same like it was just a normal part of life Uh, the big novel that most of everything from magical realism comes to is "A 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez
0: I was just going to say that that's the one that pops to my mind
1: right and in that novel uh, there's so many magical realism elements but they're all treated as just something that's normal for example a character dies character wakes up and he's the character's a ghost in the very next chapter and nobody nobody bats an eye oh you're a ghost no there's nothing like that it's just accepted
0: it's part of the landscape of right of and, that, and the, that the, that the and the
1: play just goes on from there mm-hmm. so uh, i have a number of plays uh, that are magical realism in fact I'd say 75% of the stuff I write is magical realism. So in one of my plays, uh, something magical that that's just recently come out, uh, one of the magical elements in that play is that a character's emotions fall from the sky in the form of balloons. And on the balloon, there might be a happy face or a sad face. And so other characters that come in and around know what this character is feeling because the balloons are coming down. And it's just treated as a normal thing, but it is it is a magical realism element that happens.
0: It must give you a lot of freedom as the writer, a lot of license to um, kind of play with, uh, you know, different um, settings and, and characters and, and allow for more than what would be allowed in, you know, a completely realistic uh, setting.
1: Yes. Uh, I am writing magical realism for the stage, which is not commonly done. There's only, I can only think of two, maybe three plays that have me- magical realism in them that are not my own. And so it's it's it hasn't permeated on stage too much. And largely because you have to the element has to be shown on stage, which, right. which in like in a novel, in a magical realism novel, you can have any, anything you want. You right. just
0: have to, yeah, just have to write it right. down. Exactly. The, you can the, let the your imagination,
1: <laughs> exactly. Your imagination can go wild. Neil Gaiman writes a lot of magical realism. One of the biggest magical realism writers out there currently. But I have to come up with ideas that can be fit on a stage so that we can actually show them. And so I have the balloon falling.
0: Do you ever uh, worry, as a writer, that you um, you might run out of ideas at some point, or you're, that the well is going to kind of run run dry?
1: You know, I have the a- absolute opposite fear. Oh. <laughs> uh, I read the Snows of Kilimanjaro by um, by Papa
0: Hemingway. <laughs> yes,
1: thank you. I planked <laughs> on his name for there. And it was one of the stories that he wrote way at the end of his, his career. And it is a story about all the stories he didn't write and mm-hmm. couldn't write because he still had all these ideas mm-hmm. and just felt that he did not have the ability to write them properly. And this story has, since, since I read it about 20 years ago, has sat with me because I have, an, I, I have idea journals filled with ideas and stories that I would love to get to. But, I know that I mean I can only get to maybe four ideas a year, and I have already a hundred ideas in there. The math just doesn't work for me to still be alive and yeah. and not have an idea <laughs> in there. so yeah, so it's it's just the opposite for me. It's just what stories c- should I focus on now?
0: Well, and I think all of us that are um, really uh, bookworms, those of us who really love reading, have the same problem with. Um, how are we ever going to read all of the wonderful books that are out there within our lifetime? It's, it's an impossible task. Right. Uh, you just, and at some point you just have to uh, accept that, that it's, you know, you're, you'll just do what you can do and you're going to strand, you're going to strand probably some really great books. Right. You're, Ex- you're going to strand some plays that will go unwritten.
1: Well, plays and, and novels. I've, I've written seven novels and, uh, but my playwriting has has taken off in the last several years, so I'm really focused on that. I may never get to any of the ideas that I have for more novels. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, so the ideas will just kinda of sit out there and I at some you just kinda of have to prioritize what you write. I mean I have I have pretty much figured out what I'm writing all of this year and all of next. So it's just a question of, you know. Got to prioritize. Getting to it. And, yes.
0: It, yeah. Now, um, did you, so did you start writing novels first and then move to writing plays? No.
1: I wrote my first play in high school uh, as a part of my first creative writing class. So I always knew I wanted to write plays. And I was, I was a playwright for about 15 years from high school on writing just plays. Then I moved out to a farm. And life changed and I got away from anywhere close to being a theater and I had no connections. So I started writing some novels instead because that's where I felt that, well, now that I'm away from theater life and everything and with no connections, it's really tough to get any plays produced or done. So I switched over to novel writing and then one of the local high schools needed a theater person to come back in and restart a program that had been dormant for 20 years. And at that point, I I was back in the theater, and they actually needed a playwright. They didn't realize it at the time, but they did. And so I started writing for them, and that's what brought me back into it.
0: Has a student ever uh, been the impetus for a a play that you've written?
1: Yes, absolutely. I have a student, I, I don't think I'll name her, but I have an autistic student who, in my first play written for the school, was I, I put as a lead. And she was fantastic. It was a comedy play. She did everything deadpan. The audience laughed. Mm. She was so funny. Huh. But then she came to me after the run was over and said, Mr. Deal, I understand that I was in a comedy play. I understand that it was funny. I didn't understand a single joke. Hmm. And so she never found any of the material funny. Yeah. And at that point, I said, okay, before you graduate, I'm going to write you a comedy that you understand. And Hmm. that is where my comedy loopy came from. And one of the characters is written for an autistic person to perform. And it was written for her. And it was performed in competition at uh, Stageworks
0: Northwest. Wow. Well, I, I I read a little bit about Loopy, and uh, it the just the whole premise of this uh, school science fair and the students preparing for it, and then um, being uh, actually um, sucked into time travel and multiverse theory and chaos theory. I, I, as I was reading about it, I was thinking, wow, this is this is v- a very ambitious play and and so imaginative. And, and now to hear that, you know, that you wrote it, you wrote it with that student in mind. And I, I just think that's really, that's and, beautiful. And
1: actually, just not that student. I wrote it for five different students that I had in mind. I already had it cast before I wrote it. Wow. So, and, off, and during that time, I was directing my own plays. So I already knew who I was writing for. So...
0: What a wonderful experience for those students.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Ha- have you seen students come through your um, your program who have gone on to uh, write plays themselves?
1: No, not yet, uh, although the program has only been, I've only been doing the program since 2016, so most of them have yet to get out of college. But I do have at least four students that have gone on and are doing theater education. That's as, That's so great as their major so eventually
0: what what do you see the benefit um for for youth and and students uh, in in uh developing their uh creative writing um skills do do you see uh, that as being something that translates as a uh a ve- into a value Absol- in their in their abso- adult life
1: absolutely because i think that I mean, writing, you have to do, in most professions out there, you have to be able to write. And if you can write confidently, you're going to be a much more successful writer. And writing uh, about your imagination, telling your feelings, this is all really great, especially for students because it is so stressful to be a student these days, especially in the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything. Mm-hmm. Writing is one of the best ways for them to take care of their own mental health that they don't need anybody else for. Right. Because they can write in their emotions. They can write what they're feeling. They can put it into drama, a, a drama. They can, they can escape life completely and write a fantasy. They can do anything they want to. Through writing, and it really helps them get away from, you know, a stressful time that we're all still trying to get
0: through. Right, I, and I also see um, writing as a uh, really a, a great way for um, underrepresented uh, people, youth, to have a voice and and tell their stories. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing that. I think I think it's a gift to give uh young people that that chance to to write creatively and to realize that they can do it
1: yes absolutely i i everybody can write everybody can write i mean not everybody enjoys it but everybody can write and it's such a personal thing that all you need is a pen and paper i mean you don't technically need a computer although most everybody writes on a computer yeah it's but, the,
0: it's the revising part where i <laughs> you know kind of fall down and just throw my hands up in the air <laughs> right
1: but anybody you know any student can grab pencil and paper and write yeah and so it's always there it's always available
0: yeah it's it's a it is a very um accessible a uh, creative art exactly um, I was wondering, have you ever been commissioned to to write a play or or asked to write a spe- for a specific um, school or group of students?
1: You know, I haven't yet. Uh, I'm. I would be. Well, no, that's not true. Uh, Kelso High School came to me during the pandemic, and said, "Hey, we need a radio show because they couldn't. They weren't meeting. Oh, they couldn't do live shows, right? So they said." Can you write a, a radio show and can you do it in a month? And it's like okay, <laughs> I, I, I silly just just said okay. Uh, my daughter <laughs> was a part of it, so and then I did write a radio show that appeared on their school Facebook drama page oh, okay. over the winter of uh, twenty twenty.
0: Huh. Wow! Well, so was that? Did you feel more pressure because it was? Uh, some uh, an uh, an outside entity kind of uh, uh, asking you to to be creative. I mean, did that change the 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 it, dynamic or the or the creative process? It
1: didn't change the cri- the creative process so much, but there was, you know, hey, I need this many parts for boys and this many parts for girls. These parts can be either. Hey, they're willing to do accents, and I was like, okay. So you know, just. <laughs> trying to come up with an idea that would incorporate all that. Yeah. That was, that was the, the creative part. And it was, it was challenging and it was fun. It was really great for me. I wish I had had more than a month warning, but you know,
0: (laughs) I I had a similar experience uh, earlier this summer with someone um, approaching me to uh, write a poem for a wedding and, and giving me the uh, kind of the particulars about the bride and the groom and how they met and their, you know, their love story. And, and at the point that I said, sure, I, I'll do that. I, I think I can do that. The person said, okay, well, the wedding is next week. At which point I, I you know, I, I silently screamed in my head and said, why did I agree to do this? And, but the, the thing was, I had great material to, to build off of and I didn't let myself get psyched out about the time frame. And the the key was I started working on it that day. I didn't like wait, I, you know, jumped right in. And, uh, and I found a way to kind of build on elements of their relationship, because they, they both really loved playing basketball. So I, I built the kind of the whole poem around kind of basketball themes and uh, and, and it, and it worked and, and she loved it and, and she paid me and I'm like, well, I guess I'm a, i am I guess I'm a professional poet now because someone has written a check to me. So <laughs>
1: exactly. And that's always a great feeling too, that somebody wants to use your words in some sort of capacity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know what, I don't think it's a bad thing for us, uh, as creative people, or writers to to be under a little bit of pressure like that once in a while because it do, it's it is kind of challenging and uh it does kind of push you maybe a little outside of where you would may would have gone uh well uh, undirected I
1: mean deadlines happen so yeah. especially if you're going to be try to be a professional writer of any kind you're going to have to work under deadlines that's just part of it you know, there are s- certain people that don't have to, but they're usually the very top echelon. Most of your everyday working writers have a deadline that they have to to do. So you've got to get it done by the deadline, and that's the way it is. Yeah. Normally, I have a publishing deadline. If I want something published in in that year, I have to give it to them by the start of the year. So if I turned in something mm. in October then I have some hope that it might be published in August of that next year.
0: So you keep writing, even when you've finished a project, you just, you jump in and start the next one. Absolutely.
1: For for example, Scarecrow, which I turned in in the beginning of May, I'm not going to get a response to until January, February, probably at the earliest. Mm-hmm. And if it's a positive response, then they're going to take six to seven months to publish it. So it might you know, So that time frame, they probably would like to publish it in August because most hor- horror plays are done in October, November. So they would like it out by August, and that's it. But I'm not going to wait a year and a half for that to come out to start writing something else.
0: It's kind of like eggs in the pipeline in the chicken. Yes, it's, that's, it's exactly <laughs> that way. the really little tiny egg, and then there's the big one that's about ready to pop out. Right. And then there's the one that's landed and is in right. the nest. Yeah. Well, also, can you tell me a little bit how you get into your flow state to to write? I am
1: very regimented. Uh, I get up and as soon as my wife goes to work in the morning, especially during the summer, uh, I have a two-hour window that I purposely sit down and write. But that two-hour window is set up by the fact that I usually have an idea of something to write and then I work in stages, so I have something that I'm writing, something that I'm outlining, and something that I'm researching. So as soon as that one that's written is done, then I pop the one up for the outline, and then I just start working on that. And then I do a little editing as I can.
0: So you, it sounds like you really approach um, your writing discipline um, like a job. Absolutely and and did you did you just figure that out as you know just by trial and error or or was it something that was that just part of who you are
1: more trial and error than anything else i mean every every writer has to put their own their own program together on how they're going to get from a to z mm-hmm. a being the idea and z being the publication or whatever their final goal is
0: yeah well, I just, um, I would love to see Scarecrow uh, produced here at one of our local high schools because I think you would have um, a very big fan base that would turn out for that.
1: I I'm, That would be great. I, I would love to see it somewhere locally.
0: Yeah, the concept is just, it, it sounds like it's uh, it's just so fun and so, um, you know, different. And, yes. and, and that horror element, I mean, uh, what? Uh, what it does not—that appeals to every person under twenty, I think. So, right. You, you so you you're hitting kind of the sweet spot for that for that demographic. Um, okay. Well, good luck to you, Sean, on all of your your uh, plays—the those that are written, those that are about to launch, and those that are still waiting to to be written.
1: Well, thank you, Dale. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, this has just been a delight to. To talk with you about writing and I and I even got a little a little plug in for my my one bit of poetry that I've been paid for lately so um, I, now I'm, I'm just expecting to be flooded with offers so anyway I just want to thank all of you for joining us today on River Writers and thank you to my guest Sean Deal for sitting down to chat with us about writing more information about the Writers Guild can be found at www.thewritersguild.org. Until next time, keep the words flowing and your pencil sharp. I'm Dale Olson for River Writers.